0: A warm welcome, everybody. This is Scorebox, and these are your headlines. A little way off record highs and a long way to go on a trade deal. U.S. stocks snap their winning streak as President Trump casts doubt on the progress of negotiations between the U.S. and China.
1: Meanwhile, the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell repeats his pledge on the eve of the G7 meeting to act as appropriate to keep the global expansion going amidst increased uncertainties.
2: We're carefully monitoring these developments and assessing their implications for the US economic outlook and inflation, and we will act as appropriate to sustain the expansion with a strong labour market and inflation near its symmetric 2% objective.
3: Ursula von der Leyen seals her spot at the top of the EU, becoming the European Commission's first female president after winning support for her vision of a greener, fairer Europe. And Facebook's Libra feels the heat on the hill, while the Swiss group that is supposed to oversee the privacy for the digital currency tells CNBC it hasn't heard from the tech giant at all.
0: Lithography. It's the word of the morning, but it hardly slips off the tongue, does it? Lithography, Karen. Very good morning, <laughs> good by the morning, way. Good morning and nice to see you back. Thank you so much. It's been a long time. It feels yeah. like I've been away in Asia for a very long time. But let's talk about lithography because ASML has just delivered a second quarter 2019 earnings. And I could tell you at a headline level in terms of uh, the net sales line, uh, they are in at 2.57 billion. The uh, the market was uh, looking for a sales number of around that area, so the analysts 2.57 billion was the expectation. The group has uh, delivered slightly better than that. The group telling us they've got a 43% gross margin for the second quarter. On those slightly higher net sales numbers, in terms of the net income, then they've delivered at 476 million euros, which was better than the first quarter's 355 million. Uh, The group says, in terms of outlook, we expect R and D costs of around 495 million. Uh, The group has net bookings at euro 2.82 billion as against 1.4 billion in the first quarter. Um, I think uh, these are not bad numbers and what's interesting about these is the company effectively through its lithography machines is a supplier for the semiconductor industry and a lot of people have been writing off the semiconductor industry of late. The outlook remains unchanged going forward. 2019 total sales uh, view remains unchanged. We continue to see 2019 as a growth year. That is the message coming through from ASML this morning. How about the markets? Oh, you've got another, um, yes, uh, another earnings season. Earnings. Of course, exactly. I've come back into the middle <laughs> of earnings season.
3: You know how this script goes. I want to take you to Swatch, uh, stock that's been up about 1% year-to-date. So not exactly a strong run in terms of gains. The numbers for the first half, uh, net profit at 404 million Swiss, The operating result, 547 million Swiss francs. And when it comes to uh, the numbers on sales for the first half, at 4.08 billion. Swiss francs. So the um, numbers, if we just drill down into what they're saying, uh, positive overall annual growth for the group expected. So that's uh, the guidance for the rest of the year. The net income uh, has actually been a reversal from the previous year. That was down 11% with a net margin of 10.2% also down on the previous comparable period when that was uh, 11 percent, so going in the wrong direction for margins. Um, When it comes to the actual operating margin, that amounted to 13.4 percent versus 14.7 percent for the previous year, again highlighting the the problems that you're seeing in this business. So uh, the numbers are, I dare say, just showing still a little bit of stress. Uh, Trade wars, throw that into the mix, uh, that's been impacting uh, some of the big international players. And this company uh, today just coming up with, I think, slightly weaker number there.
0: Um, over the years, I've sat down with Nick Hike Jr., and he is a character. I think our audience will be very familiar with him. Um, and he's very much plugged in, I think, to the market, both in China and in the United States, for luxury product. But the criticism, I think, that the industry continually throws at him is that the online proposition just isn't as good as it could be. And that's where perhaps they're missing marginal sales. Now, I know Nick tunes in sometimes, so hopefully we've baited him enough here that he'll call us and we'll have a conversation about this. But the last comment I saw from an analyst on this was our old friend, uh, John Cox, over at Kepler Chevrolet, who I think made the point on another channel that this is one area where perhaps... Perhaps they could focus in the second half of 2019 and improve on delivery for the customer.
3: Good old-fashioned retailing these days, not just uh, the product on shelves or in stores. And whether that's your own store, your own retail presence, or whether it's department store or some other group you're selling through, it's not just about that, but it is also through that online presence, whether you have a direct-to-consumer model these days. And that's been quite successful even for groups like Adidas that sell their wares through many different players, but having the direct-to-customer channel, very, very positive for a lot of companies. So that yeah. is good, good old-fashioned retailing these days. something you could
0: educate me on, I think, because I never thought that people would buy luxury online. They do. Because I, I always thought the whole point mm. of luxury was you got to touch the leather, you got to look mm. at the precision and the instruments, but apparently people are happy to do that.
3: So there are many different ways you can buy luxury online through very good luxury platforms and and that's enough where you are seeing the appetite, say like a net-a-porter, you can buy through many of the department stores, but there's another edge on top of that now where you can almost touch and feel the product like you say, if you start to talk very expensive luxury items. There is new technology effectively using a, like a, a Skype for instance, where you can have a one-on-one experience with a consultant who talks you through all the various options and you can see all the specifications uh, see the resale, see the pricing across jurisdictions you know it's it's a good way to be selling luxury I was surprised that, that you phrase could actually have fills
0: that one on one what's that? A, one-on-one a with one-on-one one on one experience with a experience. anybody else excited about that at uh, just after 6am here in London?
3: Depends how much money you're dropping if uh, yes, then you might want a one on one experience Jeff <laughs> Let me take you to the market action and uh, corporate earnings, another big theme for the street as well. Big focus on the bank earnings in particular, and JP Morgan, Chase, Wells Fargo beating on their quarterly numbers, but did report we can net income, interest revenue. So that is one area where the markets just took stock of. The other big ticket items today were Bank of America and Netflix. We'll look for report cards from those two companies today. So investors trying to justify how far we've scaled up on markets and what they're seeing in the earnings. The other big factor is interest rates and we had very strong retail data yesterday which is kind of a challenging number when you've got most of the market expecting an interest rate cut this month. So. Given all the guidance we've had, a very strong forward guidance from the Fed, there was no change to some of those assessments, uh, despite the strong retail number. And just adding to some of those comments, uh, Charles Evans, uh, seen as somewhat of a dove at the Fed, has also been making the case for a 50 basis point rate reduction. And after very strong non-fund payroll numbers recently, the market has been questioning whether a 50 basis point cut is required or just one insurance cut of 25 basis points. So much debate still on interest rates uh, impacting the direction of trade. Other big factors behind some of the red ink, we saw a big drop in oil prices as investors tried to weigh up the geopolitics and some of the stockpiling. Uh, The other big factor too was uh, some disappointment still around a trade deal And the US President uh, is now also suggesting perhaps there will be $325 billion worth of Chinese goods targeted with fresh tariffs if there's no progress. So a lot of negative themes for markets. And you can see we guided low, particularly on the Nasdaq, four-tenths of a percent uh, weaker, only a fraction off when it comes to the extent of the Dow falls. But uh, let's just pick up on the Asian markets and see how the, the trade is playing out. Australia firmer by about a third of a percent, but in the opposite direction for Japanese and Hong Kong stocks falling by that amount pretty much on the flat line for Chinese stocks. For the uh, opening calls here in Europe, watching this market very closely, we saw a big drop in the pound uh, yesterday on Brexit comments. So in some ways, that should be providing a little bit of a prop for the FTSE. However, when the news is particularly weak, you can often see in lockstep that the UK market can fall along with the currency. Also in very positive environments, the opposite, you can see both scale up. So we'll just watch and see how much red ink uh, flashes up on the boards this morning for the UK market. Elsewhere, we are in lockstep, looking like we'll pick up on some that reading from Wall Street. Jeff.
0: Thanks very much, Karen. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about President Trump and what he's been doing overnight. Uh, There is still a long way to go on trade talks with China. That is a direct quote. President Trump reiterated he could still hit Beijing with tariffs on an additional $325 billion worth of goods, which would essentially cover all remaining Chinese exports to the United States. That's as Beijing hit back at the president's previous tweet that claimed slowing GDP growth showed why China needs a quick deal. A spokesperson for the foreign ministry said that was, quote, totally misleading. Dan Jurgen is with us, Vice Chairman of IHS Market. Dan, good to see you this morning. Good morning. So just could I get an initial reaction to the President's comments here? He's now again managing our expectations around how quickly this trade deal is going to be this done. This is
4: like a sporting event where the competitor is also the commentator and that's certainly he's providing the commentator on it and it's part of his ongoing negotiation and I think that it's the intensity of the pressure that he intends to keep keep on until uh, they get to, to get get to something. But of course, they're asking China to make a lot of changes in how its system works. So uh, that's what really, more than anything else, is what's hanging over the whole world economy right now.
0: Which I mean, which part in particular do you think is proving to be a problem at this stage? Because when we had the truce announcement, right. the market got quite excited about the idea that the talks were back on, but we also got that surprise announcement about Huawei, which seemed to unwind some of the fears around national security.
4: At this point, what do you think it is that's uh, proving to be the stickier issue? Well, Huawei is a huge issue in itself, and it is uh, one that is certainly... um very tied up with national security considerations and it's become the, almost the symbol of, of the, the whole issue in the relationship. I think it's, it's, it's the intellectual property and it's the access to the markets that are the really big questions uh, that are, are certainly the big questions for American companies uh, who are looking at China.
3: We've heard ongoing debate about whether a trade resolution means that the uncertainty goes away for markets enough uncertainty disappearing that the Fed can also just go back to where it was on interest rate policy. What do you think if there's a trade deal that materializes well, some of that business uncertainty where many investors are on the sidelines, not willing to, to spend on CapEx. Does that go away? Does it well, fade? I, I,
4: think that's, I think that's right, because this is, you know, in fact, the U.S. economy is still doing you know, it's pretty well. Chinese economy obviously is not doing as well. But when you listen to Chairman Powell, his main concerns are about the international trade wars and so forth. That's what Worrying him as opposed to the domestic economy, so if there was a sort of magical solution to the trade dispute, uh, that would be seen as a as a big positive.
3: In the short term, what can we expect? Because. I thought it was stunning overnight that you've got someone from the Fed talking about a 50 basis point rate reduction just after we've had some strong data. We've had strong non farm payrolls, relatively speaking. We've also had retail sales numbers showing that the consumer is in good health in the states. Why a 50 basis point rate reduction when we don't have the data at this point to to match up to that language? Well, that
4: would be quite surprising. I think really the expectation that's out there is a, a quarter point. Uh, you know, is what they've signaled that they would do at the end of the month. Uh, 50 points, you'd say, why?
0: Just going back to uh, the China US story here, Dan, you, you just put out a piece, uh, the organization's just put out a piece on Chinese auto sales. I've just spent a, a little bit of time in yes, China. Yes. And one of the things that I was aware of is just how concerned companies, particularly international companies, that saw China as a great marketplace how concerned they're becoming about some of the slowing growth trends that we're we're seeing
4: i think in general if you did surveys i've certainly seen the surveys of u.s ceos Uh, There's certainly not the same optimism in general about China, and that's been going down since 2012. But the recent data has been quite a surprise, and we were quite surprised to see that over the 12 months that Chinese auto sales are down 10% from what they'd been before, because of course the Chinese auto market, which is 50% larger new car market than the United States, has been the great growth market. General Motors sells more cars in China than in the United States. And to suddenly have this downturn, the question is, is this a temporary thing? Or is this kind of the end of the road for this great surge in Chinese auto growth? And there are a number of different reasons that are are affecting it, but it's certainly, including the trade disputes, but it's certainly a very... a striking change from what has been a basic expectation of automakers around the world.
0: We'll we'll come back on this because I know Karen's very interested in mobility at the moment as well and whether this reflects slower economic growth or whether it's an economy that's transitioning to EV and other forms of transport. So we'll come back to the conversation with Dan on that. Still to come on the programme, G7 finance ministers are preparing to lock horns over international taxes at a meeting in France. We'll have more on that story when we come back. We'll find out where in the world Steve is this morning.
3: French Finance Minister Bruno Le Maire has called on G7 countries to find a quote international solution to taxation. Le Maire made the comments in Paris as he welcomed finance ministers and central bankers from G7 countries. Washington and Paris are currently engaged in a spat over tax after french senators approved a bill that will see a three percent tax levied on large tech firms that do business in france well steve joins us from chantilly with more steve so far the french have gone after the taxation system trying to change it to what they would see as being a fairer system to capture money that is not uh, staying in france but they want this to be an international initiative possibly taken up by the oecd just talk us through what you're hearing there
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a whole host of issues which you've touched on. And very uh, good morning to both you and Jeff. Nice to see you both back in London. I guess that's why I'm here then as well. Keep us separate for a couple of days. Um, But but it is absolutely fascinating looking at the architecture of the global system, looking at where it's creaking, looking at where there are loopholes as well. And actually, if you start digging away, you start worrying a little bit more that actually the current global architecture is just not fit for purpose. Uh, As we know full well, and Jeff, you are a historian of this as well, Bretton Woods, set up 1944 to try and create some order uh, after the dreadful depression years of the 30s the dreadful devastating war years and of course 1944 we were still fighting both in the European theatre and indeed uh, in Asia Pacific as well and Bretton Woods was trying to find some order in the monetary system to stop competitive valuations to try and build a framework with institutions such as the IMF the World Bank the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development spin forward uh, to now and, and people are saying yes things are creaking, and whether G7 is the right format uh, for that remains to be seen as well. I'll just run you a couple of bits of tape as well, though, as well, because there's so many big issues we're talking about, and one of them is from Bruno Le Maire speaking in Paris last night uh, on the 75th anniversary of the Bretton Woods uh, Agreement. It was signed in New Hampshire, actually, on the 22nd of uh, July, 1944, but he's talking about Bretton Woods and the threats it's facing uh, from both within the G7 and from out of it.
2: Today, Bretton Woods is contested by the two major world powers, by the U.S. and by China, on a different manner, of course, but the contestation comes from the two major world powers.
1: So the point is there, threats from within, i.e. the US, which let's face it, doesn't necessarily always at the moment under the current administration have a, a multilateral approach to uh, global affairs as well. And from outside with what will be potentially the world's largest power, which isn't, as I say, in the G7, but of course is in the G20 as well. So what is the right format? Spin forward to the other story you're talking about, a very specific story, Karen, at the moment. And, and it's, a, it's a perennial issue as well. You can go to any number of G meetings, IMF meetings, like like you and Jeff go to as well and people talk about fairer capitalism, global taxation. In fact the tagline here in France is for fairer capitalism. It sounds all very piketty again doesn't it as well because people aren't mentioning populism as much but that is uh, one of the concerns that actually unless they make uh, capitalism fairer you are going to see more of a rise of populism and extremism so this tax debate as well now look just to give a little bit of background the OECD has been working on a whole host of tax initiatives for a long time to try and put in global minimums and, and taxation on corporations herein lies the crux of the issue as far as I see it everybody wants a slice of that pie the U.S. appreciates that you're going to have to have some form of global taxation, a minimum taxation levels, but of course they want that tax to come back to the United States, or at least they want those revenues and profits to come back to the States, so perhaps those U.S. corporations can give buybacks and the U.S. stock market continue to proliferate. So if looking at the nitty-gritty of money, it's who gets the slice of the pie. But of course the French have gone alone on this in lieu of the OECD, coming up with something hopefully by the end of next year, uh, and then the U.S. has taken it badly, of course, with that 301 investigation into that uh, uh, um, unilateral tax increase of 3% that the French have put on revenues of over 750 million euros uh, and of 25 million euros of revenues in France, of course, which is seen by the US as unfairly attacking their digital companies, their technology companies. Let's listen in to what the mayor had to say about that US response.
2: The US are one of our closest allies. And they will remain, of course, one of our closest allies. But they are ready to use sanctions against france instead of trying to sort out an issue through discussion and cooperation our view is that it would be far more preferable to sort out that kind of differences through discussion and cooperation instead of opening a 301 section and envisaging the use of tariffs and sections.
1: So you can see there's some very specific issues like that. And of course, they'll be they'll be talking later on about Libra as well, because, of course, that's another one, isn't it? A bit like I was saying about the tax sharing situation as well. They don't want to lose control of the global architecture. So I think really for me, actually coming here and reacquainting myself with the G7 story, having not been to a G meeting for a short while, it seems to me that not only have we got some very, very specific issues like trans-Pacific trade wars and what have you as well, tax spats as well, but this is about the existential crisis that is Going on with a lot of these creaking old institutions, and let's face it, at 75, who isn't creaking a little bit? Nice to see you both, anyway.
0: Thank you very much, Steve. We'll catch up with you a little bit later on. Thanks uh, f- for setting up what is a fascinating conversation here uh, with Dan Yerkham. Let me just read this read Jerome Powell has reaffirmed the Fed is ready to act in order to sustain the economic expansion. Speaking in Paris. On the eve of the G7, the Fed chair said trade tensions have contributed to increased global uncertainty and that the central bank is closely watching developments. Um, Dan, can France plough a lonely furrow on this tax issue or ultimately do we need to have a global tax on these technology companies if it's going to work?
4: I think it's going to be pretty difficult to work out a global tax, but certainly for one country to try and do it alone, uh, it will have repercussions and retaliation. And of course, the Trump administration has carried tariffs and sanctions to new heights as, uh, as their international policy tools.
3: Do you think there could eventually be some pushback though? I mean, when you think of where France has come from, they want to tackle the technology companies where there's enormous revenues being earned in their country and the gaffers they call them, the Googles, Amazons, Facebooks of this world. And there is an unfair tax system that seems to be playing out in some countries and you've got governments that need to find revenue from somewhere. It can't just be France going after the tax system, can
4: it? Well, perhaps. I mean, France would have to do it presumably in some sort of EU context to have some weight, but it is part of the overall debate, you know, the, the struggle that will occur uh, with the pushback from the United States, and there really just isn't a consensus on it now. So I think what probably this is a beginning of a process of kind of discussion that will go on for a couple of years about how to deal with these tech giants that have such impact, global impact, and shift revenues around.
3: It feels like it tells a story of power, too, because the Germans haven't gone down the same same pathway with the French. I mean, they could have come up with a European accord, but there was not enough support from some of the partners because everybody's scared that Trump would turn around and slap tariffs on particular products like autos.
4: Exactly. I mean, you know, living in Washington, it's extraordinary to see that how sanctions and tariffs have become just sort of the response and the accepted norm. Border issues with, with Mexico threaten tariffs. and uh, It's just those are the two tools, it seems, of foreign policy now.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
3: Or join us again on this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.